0: Welcome to Battleground, Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Uh, Matt Brusky is away on a well-deserved vacation at, a, at I, let me put it this way, an undisclosed to me location. Uh, and maybe he told me and I forgot, but I, I do not know where he is at the moment, for whatever reason, but it's none of my business. And so it is. it is just me and it is Priscilla Bort, our movement politics director at in Action. So Priscilla, welcome.
1: Hi, excited to uh be back after a couple of weeks. Also off um, I love the undisclosed location. Uh piece of it. I know where he is, but now I'm gonna like keep it uh on the down low because now I feel fancy that I that I know I'm not gonna blow up his spot or anything.
0: I would probably find out if I went on Facebook knowing that. But, uh, <laughs> so well we got here we got a big week this weekend here is the plan of show uh priscilla and i are going to do a rapid response to the partial budget vetoes the budget process uh which is absorbed the whole year is over and we will assess the courts so to speak um and so and we do not have the actual uh memo from the legislative fiscal bureau so we were going off of what has been announced by governor evers and uh also uh what has been responded to in the press by and covered by reporters but in the press by the by the republican majority so we but we we think we know the top lines and then the second half of the show um I was at the People's Action Convention with uh, 19 other representatives of Citizen Action Wisconsin last week. That is uh, a national network, a federation of groups like Citizen Action Wisconsin in 30 states, had our first national convention since the coronavirus shut us all down and stopped in-person conventions. And I have a two-segment interview with Illinois State Senator Robert Peters, who was one of the, uh, the keynotes at the convention and who... Was the political director of a, an a allied organization, a People's Action Affiliate. So in the role for, for uh, People's Lobby in Chicago that Priscilla has here. It's his national Wisconsin, who is now a state senator and is leading a progressive shift in in Illinois politics at the state level and is a close ally of Brandon Johnson's, having a state senate district within the city of Chicago. And they're close, they got they they knew each other as organizers. And so we talk about how you build that kind of progressive power within the Democratic Party, because that's what the breakthroughs we are fighting for in Wisconsin, to have a, a mayor like Brandon Johnson, to have state senators like Robert Peters leading a shift to the progressive side. Right now, we have some lonely voices, some of our closest allies who spoke out against this budget, but they are not in charge. And they are. They are. But they could be if we let more folks like them and build more or uh, people, organized people, working in concert and putting pressure on the system, joining organizations like Citizen Action. So that'll be the second set. Now, uh, the, the, the the last half of the show, and that'll be fascinating for everyone to think about how Illinois, unlike most of of Wisconsin history, now is a model for us. We've usually been a model. For them, of good progressive government compared to their uh, corrupt uh, heritage, shall we say, and, and uh, previous reputation. So but first, Priscilla, it's finally over. It's the over. legislature delivered the budget, their budget, um, their ultimatum. Last Friday, Governor Evers had six days, not including Sunday, and he announced his partial vetoes on Wednesday. And we have started to dissect the corpse. So, what I think we want to do, Priscilla, is before we make summary judgments on it, let's talk about particular elements of it. The 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 the, the ones that particularly the ones that have gotten the most attention. Though you can feel free to call out ones that um, have not gotten enough attention. So, um, the big thing that's getting uh, attention, and there were. As is required in, in Wisconsin and American politics, apparently Governor Evers was surrounded by cute children to sign his budget. Right, that, that seems to be a prerogative. Um, so, and of course, a diverse mixture of cute children. Um, there would there's a lot of uh, a lot of attention being drawn to. Um, the the education veto that Governor Evers did. We already knew about, and we've talked about in Battleground Wisconsin, the disastrous shared revenue deal that also paired compromises with education, dramatically cut uh, Governor Evers' increases for public schools, both for general funding per pupil and for special education, which is the part that has the biggest equity and impact because the schools that are poorer and um, have the and and the more challenged districts have much higher number of special needs kids and it's not paid for by the state mostly it's 30 percent previously so that comes out of per pupil spending generally in palmers school districts and agreed to an historic voucher increase that's going to has vouchers on a path to get more money per student than public education students public school students by the end of the year and still I know there's this reputation that vouchers is an alternative to public schools. The vast majority of voucher students have never been to a public school and and would be there anyway and have kids who can afford it, just to be very, very clear about this. So we're funding private schools that can discriminate. So, but Governor Evers, Priscilla, has gotten all sorts of attention for um, vetoing, what he has is he has a partial veto power stronger than any in the, other in the country, and he can veto numbers and words. And he vetoed that the increase for public schools was versus the 2023-2024 budget and made it last 100 years, okay, by putting, by limiting a bunch of numbers and therefore creating a different number. And so much fanfare that he has funded public education for a century, Now, I know you know what public school advocates are talking about as far as whether that's adequate, so I'm going to leave that uh, for you to describe, but I want to tell you the media is doing a disservice, as usual, in not explaining clearly that, yes, school districts now have 100 years, right, for 100 years, because this becomes state statute, can do this unless you have a governor and a legislature together that repeal it, which would be hard to do Next budget, because we probably will have the same partisan split. Now, if we had Democrats take back the legislature with fairer maps, then it would probably all be changed. So it's not guaranteed there's going to be a party controlling both the legislature and the governor within 100 years that is going to change this. But the second thing this does is it doesn't provide the state revenue. So it's going to require astronomical increases in property taxes. Which just aren't going to happen because they you have to have a referendum and eventually referends are failing, they're already failing. Beloit school districts, for example, is very disadvantaged. And won't be able to spend up to the new limit because it lost its referendum. And so this is not all that meets the eye. It doesn't actually guarantee uh education. I mean, it either creates a very regressive tax that skyrockets, but you know, the public will not agree to do that in perpetuity. So it, it'll it'll never happen. Um, it's even questionable whether Governor Evers will make it happen with one massive property tax increase. Many of them will go down, defeat in referendum in the next budget, uh, even if he has a Republican majority. But Priscilla, I'd love your reaction to that and to whether the amount is adequate. I really do think we're really talking about two years guaranteed here and that's it, regardless of all the headlines to the contrary.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's so interesting to see so much national attention uh, given to him because he got rid of a couple numbers and a little like dash, which is like, cool. He figured out a way to provide a little bit, but it's still failing the the students. I mean, we're seeing so much money go to vouchers and charters still and had vouchers and charters in the state of Wisconsin been Operating in the way that they were supposed to be operating, which was to help students and to help special ed uh, and give them more more of the resources they need, but that's not what charters and vouchers are are doing, and it's not what this budget sets us up uh, for. Uh, many public education advocates are still saying that this budget is is a failing. Budget that that this so-called increase again is really only uh, a little bit of an increase for the next couple years. I think I read that it was like eighteen dollars for this year and thirty-two going forward, which is still not enough. It still doesn't keep up with inflation. Um, so it's and this is already on top of the the gross things that were signed with shared revenue and putting cops back in schools uh and all of those things that groups like lit had fought for years uh to to make better to get rid of some of this harm that's constantly being done and now it almost feels like we're gonna have to start all over again uh with with this so it's just frustrating that once again Wisconsinites and and Wisconsin students are just fighting for little tiny crumbs that Evers decided to to give people for whatever whatever reason. I don't know what these quote unquote negotiations looked like, but they don't feel like uh, either like this side really fought too hard in them. Beth.
0: No, we'll get to that with summary judgment, because in the next segment. Um, It's like he dazzled the national and state media, and the Republicans fell into it by responding in outrage. Um, And so they played their role, the Washington general's role against the Harlem Globetrotters. But really, he pulled a rabbit out of the hat, and you look really closely, it's not a real rabbit, okay? It doesn't change the fact that this was a horrendous uh negotiating ploy which we'll get to his tactics where he was drawn in to trade off his top priority give them a generational victory their long uh 30-year struggle to to to, to privatize public education and to give control to private operators and undermine the, the you know our historic you know investments now, as a country and the wisconsin even more in public education and to get a shared revenue deal, which may it's going it's the the tax increases on sales taxes in in Milwaukee, the city, they're not guaranteed to pass. But the attacks upon home rule, which are racist, they're structurally racist uh, because what white people are deciding, what, a, what the only large majority BIPOC city can do, right, in terms of public policy, um, they happen whether the, the sales tax uh, increase occurs or not. So with that, we need to take a break, and we will look at the other parts of this budget, and then we will give an, uh, an overall prognosis. Uh, so you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, subbing for Matt Brusky with Priscilla Bort. And we had, we're going through, we're doing the autopsy of the budget. And we went through the education, uh, which is a really the, the, the partial vetoes don't actually improve things dramatically, despite the splash and dash of the magic gubernatorial veto that has captivated everyone's attention. I think, Priscilla, that on taxes, Governor Evers was able to achieve more, but mostly by blocking most of what they were doing, the Republicans were doing. Uh, contrary to public opinion, contrary to direction of American politics, showing who they are, they had a 3.5 billion dollar tax cut that goes predominantly to wealthier people who make six figures and more, and actually is, st- is stacked that way. So there's more of a more of a tax cut for them and little it, it, itty bitty ones for people who are lower income. Uh, so, and it also collapsed the tax brackets to make it even more regressive from four to three. Governor v- Evers vetoed the collapse in the tax bracket. So they're still way too broad. This is, we, they it's they, been chipping away at a progressive income tax, one of our great creations of Wisconsin for a long time. So what happens is the massive tax cuts of 15% for the highest tax bracket, that is people who make um over three hundred and fifty one thousand a year for a couple and uh the 17 percent increase for the second bracket uh which is people who who um, may also who who also make a, a you know who 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 make a healthy salary, he vetoes those okay so those are gone, and he leaves what they had their minuscule tax cuts for the two lower brackets, which are very low income people. Now, everyone gets it. Governor Evers is right because uh, just so folks understand how taxes go. You pay on the first rate until your income gets higher and then the next rate for the rest part of your income. So everyone gets this, but it's minuscule. And so the Governor Evers goes down from $3.5 billion to $180 million tax cut. And so basically he minimized what they were going to do, which is great. I was afraid he was going to sign more. But that that that's where it leaves us. And Priscilla, I don't know your reaction to to, to my to my summary summation here.
1: Oh, I I uh, you pretty much used the words I was going to use. I I was um, anticipating something a little uh, more uh, right leaning uh, for for this. It's not great still, uh, but. I guess it's better than what i what i originally thought like it's gonna help but there could have been more help which again is the whole summation of this budget
0: i mean the third tax bracket gets a 0.04 percent tax cut yeah and uh the fourth one get say 2.1%. And the fourth one, just so folks know, is making under $11,900 for an individual. We're talking, they kept the really low brackets, but they have a ridiculous third bracket that runs for couples from $31,000 to $351,000. You know what? You need a number of other brackets there for progressive income tax. You can't do that. You need a legislature, but it's absurd. So those are the two big ticket items. There are others that are important, but they are they're smaller ticket items. And uh, one is, and and Priscilla, I know you've been following this closely, the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs the UW system, which is part of the Ron DeSantis style culture war. Yeah. So he saves the 180, 000, 180 positions within UW schools for for diversity, equity, inclusion programs. He is not able to restore money. So there's still a $35 million cut in the UW and there's inflation. So that's a massive, you know, that's a massive cut, actually, a meat cleaver cut again. And they've been underfunding and destroying our public university system the four years for some time, our proud heritage. Um, and it could lead to the, uh, the cut of these programs because they're going to be short of money. But at least it gets rid of the specific you have to eliminate them. And to me. Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion programs are at minimum what you need to be serious, because it's it it, it anyone's fact based knows that non-white kids have more trouble fitting in in the in majority white universities and that they they need a place to go and they need someone working on removing barriers within the university. But actually, it's not nearly enough to create equality and create equal access to four-year schools. So it's amazing, it's a little like the uh, to the attack upon any mention of racial history and K-12 education. What they're going after is incredibly minimal and adequate, but they've turned it into some sort of four-alarm fire of, uh, I don't know what, some sort of crazed, woke socialism. And so I feel a little guilty thinking that, make, letting leave to believe that keeping these programs is sufficient or means we have a racially just and equitable society or an anti-racism at a level. But it's good he did it.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's great that he he's he's trying to do something. Uh, I agree that, yes, it's great that these uh, positions were kept. But if we don't have money to fund them, what are they going to be able to do uh, to, to better the UW system? I mean, 188 spread out over however many uw campuses there are really is is nothing each campus itself could have 188 positions and it would still be uh not enough we're we're seeing this we're seeing the attacks uh by uh scotus and uh, affirmative action like this is this is a rough time um and you know people just want to like people are just going to college like that's it they got in on their own merits uh, and they want a safe place to be able to go to college uh, and spend the next two to four to eight to however many years, uh, the the staff deserves safety too. Um, and it's not like this, this is one of those issues that I'm like, this is also a Republican issue uh, because it's not like only Democrats, only the woke socialists, uh, are benefiting from these DEI positions. Like everybody is. Uh, so I'm again. I'm glad that he he was able to save them. I'm hoping that the Joint Finance Committee can somehow negotiate it out. To use that word again, uh, that these positions can be funded to a good capacity where they can actually be a meaningful. Position and now not just like oh yeah we have the positions.
0: The change is is that while they had to cut this, now they could cut other things instead of this. So it's in the scramble for what they do about the cuts. But this isn't radical stuff. Corporate America does diversity, equity, inclusion programs, and this idea that Ron DeSantis created woke corporations is absurd. If only uh, I would say if only, and so. It's helpful that, but he hasn't been able to restore any money. So the war on the UW system, which the governor did call it that, he's right, continues. There were some other things that uh, that that are that that are some significance. He uh, but don't really change the whole ball game. Uh, He struck the language that a lot that didn't allow Medicaid money to be used for gender affirming care. Given that we have an expanded badger care. And didn't fight over it. I don't even, I don't even know how many, uh, how many kids in that situation can, are using Medicaid or can, but it's good. He struck it. Child care. They made a massive cut, 350 million in what we had with the federal pandemic relief, the, uh, the, the, and, uh, got, got rid of that program. He was able to restore, um, Uh, 15 million. So we went down from 250 million to 15 million in grants. So that's almost nothing, but it's good he did it. Overall, I know we're getting to the end. I just think the governor's power, Priscilla, has to do with being elected by all the people and being able to use his threat of his veto to force public controversy with the legislature and force their unpopular positions out in public so they either feel pressure now to do it or they're clearly held accountable when they're fair maps because the public knows what they did and instead by allowing this to be an inside game where he negotiated with them he gave away all his power and so his unwillingness to fight unlike president biden on the debt relief um, is disastrous. And he couldn't, he could have used his partial veto authority to deny everything they wanted unless they'd negotiate over badge care expansion, a real school program, child care, paid family medical leave. I could go on and on, UW system funding, real shared revenue package. He did none of it. It's all popular. They would have had a choice, not knowing what the maps will be, because Supreme Court has changed between just doing what they want to do and facing punishment because the public would be aware. Or um, or or capitulating and uh, to some degree or finding common ground and quite frankly most people doesn't know what they took out they that people do not follow the of the budget rate no does the media anymore give them much information they could do that with even if they were so inclined but that's my take what's your take Priscilla as we close out the segment
1: yeah um, to always bring it back to a movement politics mindset um, Tony Evers was elected by people uh people spent every day every hour that they had free calling canvassing texting people in Wisconsin to get out and go vote for him uh being an elected leader means by default that you got to be accountable to the people who elected you Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest things I'm seeing of the reaction to this budget is people being really disappointed by how much time they've spent they had spent this last year that they had spent back in 2018 Uh, so yeah I think he he could have done far more but that's uh, been the summation of his time in office Uh, but we've got room to grow we've got a couple more years uh before he is up for re-election as well uh so this is the time to get really good at holding him and a whole bunch of other elected officials accountable
0: and i'll just say i'm gonna throw out a dinger here i'm gonna say the governor has floated a third term did so at the state convention i was saying there in the audience and um Frankly, if that happens now with this budget, I think he will face a primary, and I think there will be a debate on within inside the Democratic Party about how much more progressive and how much more of a fighting party we need to be. He's popular. He could win reelection, even being primary. But I, I think it will happen if he if he, in fact, really does want a third term. Um, and I don't know why, because he wants to wants to preserve summer vacation every budget year by not fighting. Uh, and so to, to get to where we need to do to, uh, to make this a fighting, more progressive Democratic Party, which is the roots of the Democratic Party in this state, and the uh, previous progressive party that merged with the old Democratic Party to create it after World War II, we're going to talk to State Senator Robert Peters in the next two segments. And you may ask, why well, talk to a State Senator from Illinois? Because Illinois, for the first time in my lifetime, is way ahead of Wisconsin as far as moving in a progressive direction, has a much more progressive governor, has a great new progressive mayor of Chicago that could be a game changer, Brandon Johnson. And uh, State Senator Robert Peters is a leader in that, in the legislature, and himself, I would say, is a future potential governor, U.S. senator, mayor of Chicago. And he built it the way we're trying to build it. He started at an organization like ours, and he works with social justice groups and organized people to put pressure on the system to get the real reform, the structural reform we need in society. So I think it's going to be very instructive thinking ahead to 2024 and 2026 to see what Robert Peters says about what they've accomplished in Illinois. So that's the next two segments. I hope you enjoy it and stick around. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig. We are reporting live at the People's Action National Convention, where we are starting a national organizing revival to build power and build the kind of society we need in the whole United States. And People's Action is the network that Citizen Action Wisconsin is part of. So we're really pleased to be joined by Robert Peters, progressive state senator in Illinois, who actually was working for a People's Action Affiliate, our sister organization, one of them in Illinois, the People's Lobby, and uh, now is a very influential state center is moving things in Illinois and, of course, knows all about Brandon Johnson, has known him for a long time, and how he pulled off that amazing and important mayor's race. So, uh, Robert, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. So I want to start I mean, we're going to get back to where your experience and what you've learned, because we talk a lot about electing progressive elected officials at all local levels, local level, state level, and then them working with social movements on the outside to change things in our society. And you've had that experience. You've lived it. And in Illinois, the ball has been moved. Uh, things are moving in Chicago with Brandon Johnson's election, but it started way before that. And there are things our listeners in Wisconsin may know about, not know about how, how much the Wisconsin state le- uh, legislature has changed, both the lower and the upper house you're in. Mm-hmm. And so, but I want to start with, you, uh, you You go back with Brandon Johnson, both come out of organizing. Uh, and so, and I'm sure you're going to work with him closely as a state senator from Chicago. Um, but what was your reaction to him? What it, what did it mean as a breakthrough for you and uh, any reflections you have on, I mean, with elections, you have to have a winnable election. There are a lot of variables all the time. But obviously, part of it is, is that you can run on a strong progressive agenda and win even when all of the professionals say you can't. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I did not want to believe, because it's so hard to even think it could be possible that brandon was going to be able to pull it off and that we were going to be able to pull it off as a movement i mean i remember uh in post the runoff election night in the runoff runoff election that night when switched from paul Allison Lee to brandon being in the i was being interviewed by wtn and i had the world's biggest friend uh on my face of and it's because I spent the whole night being like, "There's no way this is going to happen." I, there's no way this is going to happen. I mean, it fundamentally. Let me, let me let me go back to move. Um I think that's really the key here. A year earlier, um, the, the right basically said uh, we're going to go after Democrats and the left on crime, and they failed in the primary, uh, especially Ken Griffin who's a right-wing donor uh, and billionaire, who he failed in his primary to defeat what would be a Trumper. Um, and he was running entirely on a tough-on-crime message and still lost the Republican primary. Then that person who won the Republican primary, Darren Bailey, a state senator in, uh, in Southern Illinois, who was a, 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 a sort of a Trumpy right-winger, oh, right. ran against J.B. Pritchard and him and Dan Croft and Dick Uline, who makes his products in Wisconsin, right right above us. Uh, So, it's Dick Uline. Uh, If you ever see the urinal cakes when you're in the bathroom and they say Uline, just know Illinois gave you that. Um, So, um, they ran, literally going after J.B. Pritzker, and they ran against House members and Senators running on tough on crime, and they got their, am I allowed to curse on here? They got their butt handed to them, uh, and um, at that point, uh, there was back to back. Clearly, this whole crime thing might not be the thing that works. And then everyone said the true test of this is going to be at the city. And so Brandon Johnson got attacked to the right um, using Willie Horton tough on crime campaigning. Uh, and not only did he win, uh, he he had a pretty large margin after all the mail inners came in. And it was just it finally culminated to me believing. Uh, Not only what we build is going to last, but what we build means that we can kick people's ass.
0: I want to dig in on that a little, Brandon, because we've had a lot on that in Wisconsin. It's it's what was used against Mandela Barnes in that very close U.S. Senate race. And it was, frankly, used by the Democrats um, against Republican Supreme Court race, uh, much of the concern of, of movement progressives Like And we spoke out against it at Battleground, Wisconsin. But you talked about that assumption that you have to be tough on crime, right? To win. And there's really good polling that shows that, yeah, if you have a, kind of uh, liberal crime messages that that isn't thought through in terms of what makes people feel safe, it's about public safety, then yes, that would lose the tough on crime. But if you think through all of the things we should be doing that are not just putting more men with guns on the street, right? Uh, those are very popular, but you have to connect both the long-term, we're going to solve long-term problems, and things that make people feel safer now when they feel unsafe. And Brandon Johnson, it seemed to me, you were closer to it, put that together because we were working on that polling, trying to push back in Wisconsin. And when I saw what he was doing, it's like it's perfect. And I know he turns out he was talking to the same people I was reading and, and his campaign was. And he showed that and the polling showed a progressive message on public safety works better if you are committed to it and you're willing to have the courage to take on tough on crime. So I think it, sound, it sounds like you're saying the same thing, but I want you to weigh in on that. I think that shocked the political establishment because they just get conventional. Oh, no, you're, there's a crime, there's sort of crime. So it, whoever is not tough on crime is going to lose. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I mean, I think the key part here is, I think compared to back in the, the sort of 90s after the Willie Horton stuff, Uh, many progressives and many Democrats um, actually said, no, 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 we're going to stand firm on what we believe, but we're not going to dismiss that people care about safety. I think that's the key part, is that we're having a debate about safety and who's going to provide safety. And one could make an argument that the tough-on-crime people for 30 years, 40 years, have been promising safety and failing, and that all of us is running on this... Change that we want to make our criminal justice and criminal legal system are in fact doing this because people deserve safety and the other people have failed. And so you saw that with, um, with Brandon when he was running. You saw that in, uh, for our races in the state legislature, for example. I mean, it's crazy to say this. It seems like a foregone conclusion. I'm talking to you and, you know, with, with Wisconsin, but we had a, we've developed a super majority in the house, uh, for Dems. We ran in a supposedly bad year. Supposedly, all these House members face tough on crime stuff. And not only do we have a supermajority, it grew by three more seats after we were told that because we passed progressive criminal justice policies, we were going to lose elections. We actually grew by standing firm on our beliefs and fighting back against this right wing narrative. And so you, you see this from from Brandon. You're seeing this. I think I think there's a transitioning happening. And I would say, you know, I, and I, I don't want to pick on New York, but in this argument and debate in in this country right now, I would say that Illinois Democrats and, and Illinois progressives are the model for fighting back against tough on crime stuff. Where New York, on the other hand, uh, has fundamentally failed, from Kathy Hochul to Mayor Adams. The fact that they kept feeding the right-wing narrative. Now Mayor, a- mayor Adams, for example, to to really stick it in there. but someone who has to worry about his own reelection after he promised to be the good, tough-on-crime mayor. So I, I say that that is actually a warning for everybody, whether it's Wisconsin, Illinois, or New York, is that you need to actually stand firm, as you said. You need to make clear that you're talking about safety. And you need to know that if you look like you're being weak in your own position, people can see the blood in the water and they're going to come right at you.
0: I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's sort of like anti-communism was in the fifties. You more and more is demanded because people aren't safer. That doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. It actually makes it worse in many ways. and doesn't deal with the fundamental drivers of crime. Yeah. So it's also a dishonest position in many ways. And so I think that's key. What I want to get into, and we're going to take a quick break and come right back. Um, Is what Brandon Johnson faces. And then, in other words, how hard it is. In other words, there is winning the election, like that famous move, the Cadet, where the Cadet says, Now what do I do? Now Brandon knows what to do, but he knows it's going to be hard. I've been following this. And in these times magazine, uh, which I'm on the board of, has has a great cover story in the the current issue about it um, and about what he faces. But then, so talk about the, the transition to governing. And then go back to what you've experienced because you've done both the protests from the outside with our People's Action Affiliate People's lobby. And then you have also now been on the inside trying to build power about working with the outside. So we're going to take a quick break and come right back. This is Robert Craig at Battleground, Wisconsin. We are back with State Senator Robert Peters. A uh, really important progressive leader in the state of city of Chicago, the state of, of Illinois, and in their state house, which is becoming more progressive. And he knows and has been close to Brandon Johnson. Now catapulted into the national spotlight as the new progressive mayor of Chicago. And we know that you went through the same transition. Brandon is going through now. Brandon was on the county board, Cook uh, County board, big place. So he he did it partly, but he came from the movement teachers union organizing a teacher rank and file we're teaching inner city kids right in and in cabrini green neighborhood um and you were it, it came from the community were in the people's action affiliate that we work with there are several there but people's lobby is their political director and now an influential state center so you know brandon what do you think? Do people, particularly the Wisconsinites, what is he up against at City Hall? People know the stereotypes about Chicago politics, and they've changed, but it's not untrue. Look, who almost became mayor—a a, a really right-wing politician, Paul vallest So, what is—is is, I think this is like going to the inside. That's almost as hard as winning in the first place, right? And then, what needs to happen for him to win? And what do we need to do on the outside? Yeah, I think the best way to describe
2: it is, uh, you know, jokingly saying now comes the hard part. Um, And I think you saw that with the These Times uh, story that came out Um, is the fact that. You know, you've now won, you've caught the car. What comes next? And I, I, you know, I think he started off on an amazingly good foot. I think what's really important here is that Brandon is a very positive person. He exudes a hopefulness. Uh, and, you know, the way Chicago's treated on the national stage is to have a mayor who believes in people and believes in Chicago is actually just like refreshing. You know, after years of having people who kind of look down on the city, to have someone who says we have to look up as a city is just something that. That has uh, just been fantastic in the relative short time he's been in there. But I think his biggest challenge is that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to try to basically continue to push on Chicago is so dangerous to and try to ruin any type of expectations that can be set that are fair and say that, you know, Chicago needs to meet a goal that doesn't make any sense. Um, and we kind of saw this with the progressive state's attorney movement that existed, like Chaser Boudin in San Francisco, Kim Fox and Cook. Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, that that kind of sets a mold for many people about what means when you go into governing is that you can see what type of attacks might come your way. I think he's done an amazing job. There was an early moment uh, where young people were downtown and they were being antisocial where he was able to say, I don't want anybody to be acting out that way, but I'm also not going to demonize people. And they tried to come after him, but he 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 is just. As he is as a mag- you know his sort of magnetic personality, he was not able to make that stick on him. Where I think with other people, it could easily have been something that stuck, out, you know, was you know would stick onto them. And so even though we have a med- yeah,
0: it sounds like it's like what he did on crime that we talked about before. He didn't take the bait of defending it, but he didn't vilify vilify the kids either. They're kids, so he kind of took it away from them or tried to like basically say. We need to to not accept the behavior, but we doesn't mean that we we criminalize them and destroy their lives. Is that right? So he found the way, a positive way to blunt it and not have it become some right wing attack uh, 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 meme that they do over and over again. So I think that you calling that out and pointing it out, that's critical. It seems to me, you know, better to his leadership style. Yeah. And I mean, I'll also add on top of this.
2: I think it's important for us who are in the movement to have high expectations, but to know that this is still going to be a power building exercise that a Brandon's been in there for a very short time. We know that this is a transformative election and that let's not be too aggressive in trying to judge his mayoralship ship too soon that we need to continue to build power. And that even for me as an elected, that there needs to maintain the close accountability and relationships that you would have had if he was a county commissioner. But to now know that we have grown exponentially in governing size. And so it's not just a commissioner district anymore. We're talking billions of dollars in a budget. And the fact that the people who are elected down ballot aren't necessarily at the same numbers. You know, it's 50 aldermen. He doesn't have 26 Brandon Johnson said something that we're still building. So the hope is to me is like he's got to make sure to continue to push hard on the things that he believes on. We got to make sure that we we know that it's going to take time to win the things that we are demanding and to win every bit of that agenda. And we got to know there are people each and every day who are going to use frivolous attacks to try to tear him down, tear the base down and to literally put us in a trap. I, I, I feel very positive with the way things are going. For example, he's already made it clear that he's going to fight for workers when they're in a restaurant or a service job. He's made it clear that he's going to move and transform how we fund dollars into our community safety spaces, particularly around youth employment. And to know that we have that Chicago is not going to be solved for its problems after what has been three decades of mismanagement from previous administrations. That's going to take a lot of work for us to get to the place we want to be as a city. You can't tear down the walls of segregation in a day. So this is, I think, what the administration has the opportunity to set in motion and to think that what we're setting ourselves up for is a governing position, not of four years, but for decades, that the way we in the movement govern is something that becomes, I would say, the new establishment because we win. And I, I think that's that's the both the promise. Uh, and also the the risks of a new administration like this. Uh, but I'm excited to be able to be part of that and, and to have close relationships with so many people in that administration. And I'm really excited for what we could do, not just as a state senator, but as someone who's organizing this movement.
0: So I hear you saying two things, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I'll state them and you tell me where I'm right and wrong. Partly, you're saying that, he's going to face resistance, right? There's a lot of powers in the city that benefit from the way it is and people who support them in City Hall, right? And people have various power. And so people in movements that help the Brand and who may expect transformation, right? And expect uh, the victory is getting him elected and now the world changes, could be disappointed and get demobilized. We know to guard against that, right? They need to understand how hard this is. Um, and so, and, and the, they're gonna, the other side's gonna create barriers. Try to vilify Brandon Johnson, make him not reelectable. No matter what, the question is, can we maintain the power that got him elected? And then the second thing is, it sounds like you're saying that Brandon needs to be smart in his administration on not overpromising and having a vision, but saying how hard it will be to get there, and then finding ways to have victories so people have pos- feel positive momentum, like him standing up for service workers when they try to organize unions, and then getting some of those unions is a way so it doesn't look like you're getting nothing because people will definitely walk away if they say nothing's changed at all. But they do need to understand when things don't change overnight. When, as you put it very well, segregation does not; the walls don't crumble in a day and come down in a day. So, am I saying that's how Brandon governs smartly in his whole administration, but also how we become more of a not an outside movement throwing rocks, but a governing movement that understands the difficulty of governing and the time it takes?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think to be for us as a movement, winning at this level is kind of brand new, and so. We're used to having to say, and not only that, to be in a movement, we have been burned before. And so if you take those two entities, that winning a race where we're going to manage 4 to $5 billion budgets, and that we have moved people into governing positions, and we have been burned before, can create, there could be a lot of doubt and skepticism of what can happen the difference between Brandon and most other people is that he's been deeply ingrained in movement the whole time. He's, he's, you know, he's, he was still and deeply is, uh, you know, someone who has, comes out of CTU, right? That is not like, he wasn't like there on vacation. The Chicago teachers, he wasn't there on vacation, right? Um, that's part of who he is. And that's part of his story. Now he knows he has to govern for all of Chicago, but that organizing methodology is still deeply there, and you can actually see it come into play in what I think most people would find a boring, non movementy way of governing that is, in fact, extremely movementy. which is Chicago has a pension crisis. And so every mayor before used to shove how they wanted to solve pensions down everybody's throats and say, this is how it will be. And Brandon said, no, I'm going to do is I'm going to bring all these stakeholders from labor. All these legislative stakeholders, leaders that I have from the city of Chicago, they're going to do a working group, and they will come up with a proposal that I would like to present for the state around our pension crisis. So instead of saying this is what we're going to do, he literally organized and brought people to the table, said this is what I would like you to do. I would like you to work on this. And then what's what's just I think just so great is that if you don't want to be at the table, then You have chosen not to give the feedback that's needed to craft some pension legislation. And you see this organizing mindset of like, it's not just me who's going to get this done. It's going to involve every level of our stakeholders. And what's interesting is I think a lot of state legislators kind of think this way. We haven't normally seen this from the city of Chicago. Usually the mayor's like, this is how it's done. And the city council doesn't legislate. They just operate making sure... You know, the the trash can is there and the trash gets picked up. But this is a fundamental shift. The committee chairs now, you know, in in Chicago, to be committee chair was really just so you could kill bills. Now the committee chairs are empowered to regularly meet and have conversations about legislation. They're empowered because him as a movement organizer said that he wants to expand democracy even in the legislative process. Which, for the city of Chicago, is entirely brand new, because even when Harold Washington was in charge, they never even let him legislate. So, I I think this is the exciting thing about where we're at in the city with the with with Mayor Brandon Johnson. I think it's unique. Everyone knows the stories about Chicago and and the machine. Uh, and I think it will be new for everybody inside and outside of the city seeing this change happen in the city.
0: Hey, that's uh. Look, I love the way you landed it. As far as organizing, both in the way he thinks about structures and repurposes them, the way he is in some ways boring, and how we have to be organizers and understand all the constraints he has, and not expect you can wave a wand, win one election, and that changes deeply entrenched structures of inequality, right, and which are backed up by huge, powerful interests that have a stake in this and this in the current system. So I think that's great. We all need to be good organizers, and we got a good organizer as the mayor of Milwaukee. And for Battleground Wisconsin listeners, I think we need a lot good, more good organizers, either trained ones or ones that have an organizing mindset and are connected to movements uh, in every level of government, because that's how we are going to transform America and make it everything it ought to be. So thank you for taking the time. Everyone can probably hear what a busy convention. And as you've heard senator peters he's in law demand he's given some speeches um in major plenaries so it was great for you to carve out some time to talk to all of our listeners in wisconsin so great to have you robert thank you for listening to this special edition of battleground wisconsin with our budget partial veto autopsy and our newsmaker interview with uh state senator uh, robert peters Illinois. Uh, and we will. We hope to, we hope to, li- to, to be back next week. And I'm not sure is Matt back or not. Maybe with our full panel, maybe not. But we could also have time to arrange some other guests. I actually tried to uh, land Senator Chris Larson, but he um, he was fl- fleeing up north right after the uh, demise of the budget. So with that, and I hope a number of uh, that you listeners are fleeing up north in this beautiful summer. We will talk to you next week.